Well, what a great song. Rejoice in the law of the Lord. You know, the only thing that would have made that song better is if you could imagine this, if we could all be together uh, at the World Congress Center or going all the way back to the days of meeting at the Informed downtown and uh, being able to sing that song together. Uh, thanks to the praise and worship team uh, for offering your gifts and talents to this worship service and uh, really making it spiritual and making it really great for us to come together virtually. Uh, greetings to all my brothers and sisters across metropolitan Atlanta. I'm so grateful to be able to uh, speak God's word to all of us here this morning. Uh, for those who do not know me, my name is Ben Barnett, and I was baptized uh, as of December 1st, 27 years ago, in the Atlanta Church of Christ. And uh, up until recently, I've been serving in the ministry here for 26 years. And, uh, and now I have the opportunity to work for Hope Worldwide as the chief evangelist. And so it is indeed my pleasure uh, to be able to share this platform and have this opportunity uh, to speak God's word to our fellowship across the city today, uh, albeit virtually. Uh, today's message is, is simply entitled, uh, A Message of Hope. And I want you to do a favor for me. I noticed as I was preparing this message that I kept repeating the word hope over and over again. So as you listen to the message, I want you to take notes of how many times I actually use that word and uh, kindly maybe post it on Facebook or something uh, so that I can see. You might just, you know, win a prize or something like that. I want to begin today's message with a question. And my question is this. Has 2020, the year 2020, been what you expected or anticipated? Uh, I know for me, it certainly has not in, in a number of ways, uh, but I do know the Bible says we make our plans and God determines our steps. Uh, this year was going to be the year of really some significant celebrations for me. Uh, for starters, uh, three weeks ago, I was going to celebrate, and I did here in Atlanta, but I was going to go back to West Point to have my 30-year reunion and to uh, fellowship with uh, other cadets and friends and football players and go to the homecoming game. But, you know, COVID uh, changed all of that. And then Lord willing, Tammy and I will celebrate our 30th uh, anniversary uh, next month on the 29th, Lord willing. And uh, we, we, we're going to celebrate. We got great plans, but I had planned to do some stuff that I'm not going to disclose in this message because I want to surprise Tammy a little bit later. But we were not going to be in the United States. We we're going to be somewhere else. And again, COVID has changed all of that. I've heard several people this year say things like, it would be great if I could just get a, a mulligan or a do-over for 2020. Some have even said it'd be nice to, in computer language, do a control-all-delete and just reboot 2020 all over again. Theologian Karl Barth once stated that, you know, great ministers, we're able to take the Bible and hold it in one hand while holding the newspaper in the other hand and allow them to interpret one another. Uh, well, I know that's dated. We don't read newspapers anymore, but I do believe that we could possibly hold up our mobile phones because most of us have a Bible app on it. And of course, our phones are the place where we get all of our media information anyway. So we could hold that in one hand and be able to allow it to interpret one another. Uh, I feel like the responsibility uh, of being a preacher and the task of the sermon is to be able to take God's word as living and active and to, to really use it as a lens to interpret life and to find meaning for our existence and to eventually, I hope, to inspire hope. 
Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. I believe at the core of our being, we all need hope in our lives. And without hope, our hearts get sick. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So hope is this expectation, this anticipation of good things to come. And without it, our hearts really do get sick. Even social scientists agree. Some have described the year of 2020 as an endless panic attack exacerbated by cultural depression and cultural anxiety. And this cultural panic attack can be described or simply described in three words, race, politics, and pandemic. With sometimes all three of them being enmeshed together. Think about the overall racial discourse in our country. It's always been problematic, but right now it seems almost insurmountable. Massive protests were experienced across the country in late May and early June. Tam and I, we serve on the International Church of Christ diversity team called The Squad. And so we've been really close really to the dialogue that we see going back and forth uh, between disciples in our churches, particularly on social media. Words like Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Defund the Police are all being politicized in our culture, but they also creep into our church as well. And right now, disciples are trying to discern what does that mean for me in the kingdom of God. Just recently, hundreds of millions of people in the United States voted for the next president of the United States. More than anything, this election demonstrated just how divided we are as a country. It also demonstrated that we have strong allegiances to political parties. And sometimes I believe it is profoundly greater than our allegiance to the kingdom of God, at least on an emotional level. For many people going forward will unfortunately put their hope in a human being rather than the Lord. And these two things all together are taking place simultaneously to a global pandemic. The COVID outbreak has caused significant human suffering and economic disruption all around the world. And even at this present moment, there's no cure. There's peaks of good news that there might be a a vaccine ready uh, by the spring of next year. And so what we're going to do right now, humanity, is we're going to put our hope in a vaccine. I read a poem this week online by Sophia Sanfilippo, and it, I want to read it to you today. It says, we have all been exposed, not necessarily to the virus. We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us exposing our weak sides and exposing our, our dark sides, exposing what is normally beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible mask that we wear. Now exposed by the paper mask we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, and our protection of self. Corona is peeling back all those layers, tearing down our walls, revealing our illusions, and leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods we worship, our health, our hurry, our sense of security, our favorite lies, our secret lust, and our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. What is the church without a building? 
And what is my worth without an income? And how do we make plans with certainty? And how do we love despite risk? Corona is exposing me, my mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, and my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed. Our junk is being laid bare and our fears are being made known. The band-aid is torn and the masquerade is done. So now what? What's left? Clean hands? Clear eyes? Tender hearts? What Corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. I love that last part. What Corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. I love what Paul has to say uh, to those who have uh, been born again about Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. This, this scripture has been so comforting to me when people ask me as a church leader or as a chief evangelist whole worldwide, how do you navigate all the stuff that's going on in the world? And, and this scripture I've clung to. Uh, and I tell people this. It's like my, my little saying that I, I, I walk through, how I'm navigating, how do I put into perspective the things that are going on in the world as a disciple of Jesus. I tell people I was born on November the 2nd, 1967. And on that day, I was born into an earthly kingdom with my citizenship being in the United States. And I am so grateful for that. I love my country and I have served my country. Then I was born again on December 1st, 1993, and I was born again into a spiritual kingdom where Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. So until the day I die, I will, I will live my life with dual citizenship, understanding that this earthly kingdom will pass away one day and it will be gone when I die. But my eternal citizenship will then depend upon my beliefs and behaviors as that dual citizen. The earthly kingdom and all its agendas and goals and principles and passions and practices will all pass away. Only God's kingdom will prevail. So this means that while I live on earth, I need to bring heaven to earth and I need to really lean into God's kingdom. God's kingdom goals, kingdom agendas, kingdom principles, kingdom values. And all of this requires that, as Paul says here, we, we set our hearts and our minds on things above and not on earthly things. Too many people are walking around right now with their hearts and minds on things that don't really matter, on things that will not last, on things that are not a part of the heavenly kingdom. And so let me today try to put our hearts and minds up here uh, with a message. And so if you would, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be reading in verses 1 through 10. Um, also as a part of a sermon, I believe there should be invitation to action. Uh, I don't think you logged on today just to hear me speak for the sake of speaking. And uh, I certainly am not speaking just for the sake of being heard. I'm speaking because I believe that God wants us to be more than hearers of his word. God wants us to be doers of the word. And I'm not telling you something you don't already know. Let's read in Acts chapter 3. 
It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. He was put there every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expected to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as that same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There's a man, he's crippled from birth. He's vulnerable, really, at no fault of his own. He was born into these circumstances. And because of these circumstances, he's actually put at the gate to beg every single day as if that's the best his life is going to get. The irony here is that the gate is called beautiful and this man's life is anything but beautiful. It's a contradiction to beautiful. This scene is anything but beautiful. Being crippled and begging is not a beautiful situation to be in. But his life circumstances throughout this story changes and becomes something beautiful and wonderful and amazement when he encounters Peter and John. This story is an interaction and engagement with a real person. However, this encounter also serves as a metaphor. It serves as a metaphor because it speaks to the physical and spiritual part of our lives. The man who sat there every day, just out of the reach, just out of the reach, just sitting there begging every single day for donations, he would get his needs met and then the very next day he had to come back and beg again. And so he was in this perpetual state of just having to beg for daily donations. He sat there and he watched all the other people walk by, perhaps jumping and singing and walking and talking and perhaps running or doing whatever the case may be. And maybe they were doing all those things and taking them for granted, not even realizing how blessed they were and that their life was really already beautiful. I can imagine this crippled beggar also sitting right outside the gate called Beautiful and maybe he has a glimpse inside and he can get a peek at the temple but as he looks inside he sees people fellowshipping and connecting with one another and connecting to God and so he's, he's so close yet he's so far away from this beautiful life. This is the story of many people today. Many people are, are busy trying to, to get enough money to live and or overcome some impoverished or challenging life circumstances they didn't choose for themselves. They have the same hope and desire that I think most human beings do, and that is to have a life that is beautiful, however that may be defined for each one of us. People are close to the beautiful life or perhaps stuck in this perpetual state of begging, wanting, and needing, meanwhile watching others take for granted a life that they don't realize how beautiful it is. And spiritually, many people also long to know God and have a relationship with God and other people of faith, but feel crippled and unable to, to reach God. They can only sit near of what they think might be God and dream about what it would be like to be in God's presence and to be able to walk and jump and have joy spiritually.
You know, I want to share a couple things here uh, practically just for our fellowship in Atlanta. Uh, I have great hopes for our fellowship in Atlanta. I appreciate the opportunity to have this virtual service, but there are so many other things I wish and hope that we could do uh, together. And I want to talk about those uh, briefly here today. For number one, uh, we could pray together. And I know you may be sitting there thinking, you know, this dude has gone back to school and got several doctor degrees and we thought he might be giving us some deep things. I will tell you this, the longer and the more I studied in school, the simpler things became. And when I say praying together, I know out there you already pray, we pray in our churches, but I'm, what I'm talking about is all of our churches praying together. And I mean literally praying together. We are learning right now, virtually, there's a lot of things that we can do with technology. It's not stopping us from having a virtual service. There are times that I think we can have virtual opportunities to pray together. Think about how important prayer was for the early church. They, they met every day in Solomon's colonnade and they prayed. Uh, the Bible says here that they're praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They would go back home, and in their homes, the Bible says in Acts 2.42, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to it. Do you know in the book of Acts, it is like a historical record of what the, the Holy Spirit is doing in the early church. It is also a chronological record of what, what prayer was like. And typically in the book of Acts, you will see how prayer and the Spirit just weave themselves together. For example, prayer precedes even the Holy Spirit being filled with the disciples there in Acts 1 and 2. Prayer precedes the shaking of the foundations in Acts chapter 4 where the church came together and they prayed for boldness to go and preach. Prayer also precedes the installation of a leadership. We see the replacement of Judas in Acts chapter 1, the deacons in Acts chapter 6, the appointing of prophets and teachers in Acts 13. Prayer also precedes the baptisms of entire households. Remember Acts chapter 16 where they were looking for a place to pray and they find Lydia, a businesswoman, and they go home and baptize her and her entire household? Later on in that same chapter, prayer precedes the shaking of the foundations of the prison. Paul and Silas at midnight, it says, are shackled up in the lowest cells and, and they are praying and singing songs at midnight and all of a sudden there's a found, foundation shake the shackles are uh, uh, unhooked they are set free the Philippian jailer is baptized along with his entire household here in Acts 16 and I've preached this many times that the midnight hour it is a chronological time in terms it's at midnight, but it is also a transformational time. It is a time when people come together and they pray and sing and the foundations are shaken and the shackles, anything that binds us is set free. In Matthew chapter 18, 19 and 20, Jesus says, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. What an amazing promise if two or more Think about this in Atlanta. What are we, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 disciples here in Atlanta? What if we prayed for the same thing at the same time every day? Can you imagine what that must look like at the throne of God, this, this spirit of unity as we come together? This great miracle happened in Acts chapter 3, and I think it is... It is prompted by the fact that the disciples and the leaders went to the temple every day to pray. And it says they prayed at 3 p.m. 
You know, there's a longer story to, to share here. I'm not going to do it now, but many people might have heard it before. But in, in 2007, I had the opportunity to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And I was there in Jerusalem for three weeks. And every day I would watch the call to pray for those who are of the Islamic faith. And several times throughout the day, I would just see all these Muslims praying. And then there was also periods of times throughout the day where the Jews would make their way to the Western Wall, the Welling Wall, where they would go and pray. In fact, I was invited to join them several times. And I actually went back to Israel two years ago and was able to do the same thing with Tammy, to go at a specific time and pray. You know, in the U.S., we, we pray, and it's, it's arbitrary, but we don't have a time that we actually come together. Here's something I believe that we can do, and I've been really sharing. We, we can be a prayer movement that goes all across the world. For the past 10, 12 years, when I've had the opportunity to share this, and I told this a longer story I could do later, but I've asked people to do one thing. Take out your phone and go to your clock where you have your alarms. And then click on every day, just check mark every day, and then set a time in your phone for 3 p.m. And then when your alarm goes off on any given day, it's, it's a call to pray, no matter where you are. If you're sitting with family, friend, neighbors, you might be at work, you might be at a store, who knows, the alarm goes off. And what you can be confident in is that you're going to pray. I'm not talking about uh, having your quiet time necessarily, but I'm talking about just a few minutes Maybe even 30 seconds if you have it. Stopping at that moment, recognizing the fact that there are other people at the same time praying with you. Maybe we could pray right now. God, heal the earth. God, show us the way when it comes to racial discourse in America. God, please allow us to, to break down our political allegiances and accept and embrace your kingdom. God, help us to do those things. Can you imagine if we're praying the same thing at the same time every day? What an amazing presence to be there before the throne of God. And we can even do more. So pray. I believe that we can come and pray together. Secondly, I think we can serve together. Uh, you know, I'm here wearing my official uh, Hope, church, uh, Hope shirt, and so I'm going to talk about service today, and that's something I believe that we can do together. You know, in Acts 3, in verse 4 and 6, it says, When Peter saw the crippled beggar and John as well, Peter says, Look at us. So the crippled beggar said, if you got to beg for something, that breeds shame and embarrassment. So you're not making eye contact with people. And I wondered why Peter was so adamant about having the crippled beggar to look at him. And then I thought about my own life. There are times that I drive around the city of Atlanta and I'm well aware of the intersections where people, generally speaking, stand out to ask for money or to beg. And quite often, I have extra money in my pocket. I always try to keep some in the car so that I can roll my window down and, and give out money. But if I'm being honest, uh, there are some days I'm on the phone. Uh, there are some days I might not have that money. There are some days that the, the light is green, and I don't, I don't want to stop. I just want to keep going. And so I've learned what I can do to just keep going, and that is to not look. Looking at someone in need communicates, I see you. It communicates compassion. If I don't look at them and they see me not look at them, then we don't make eye contact. I can keep going about my business. And I think that's why Peter and John told the crippled beggar, look at us. Let's, let's make contact. 
It is very difficult to have compassion for any individual that we don't look at. It's difficult to have compassion for a community that we avoid. It is hard to have compassion for part, other parts of the world outside the United States if we don't look at it. Whatever we look at, we can get compassion, which we need to be able to serve. Looking is the antithesis of ignoring and avoiding. And looking also gives us the opportunity to dream about possibilities. The crippled man, when he looked, he expected John and Peter John to give him something. And they basically said, look, I don't have no money. I don't have no silver and gold. But just because I don't have no money doesn't mean I can't serve you. What I do have, I'm going to give to you the name of Jesus. And they healed him. And when I read it, I thought to myself, man, wouldn't it be great if we had the power to heal? And then the Holy Spirit said, well, you do have the power to heal. So for someone who is crippled, healing is not being crippled. It means being able to walk and jump. That's what healing is. And then I started to think, well, what does healing look like to someone who is hungry and thirsty? It looks like food and water. And what does healing look like to someone who's incarcerated? It looks like visitation. What about someone who's a, a oppressed? Healing looks like empowerment. What about someone who is lonely? It looks like relationship. And someone who's sick, it looks like medical care. And someone who's an orphan, healing looks like a family. And to a stranger, healing looks like invitation and connection. And look at what happens when you, you make eye contact and you begin to see and compassion comes and we can begin to really change people's lives. In verse 7, it says, Taken by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. You know, when I'm having my Bible study at home, I, I tend to write things in my Bible and I, I rarely use a highlighter because it bleeds through. But there are some times that in my Bible, I want to highlight a word because as I go back and look again, I know that at some point in time, a word, I believe, by the Holy Spirit stuck out to me. And so reading verses 1 through 10 here, there was one word that popped out to me. And I was surprised because it's not like it was a, a deep theological concept or it was a spiritual word. The word I highlighted is here in verse 7 and 8, and it's the word then. Because when I read about take the right hand, help him up, into the man's feet, and get strong, and then it says, then, then what? Then he went into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. And what I saw here, that as a former church leader, my goal has always been, I want people outside the church to come inside the church. I want people outside the body of Christ to be a part of the body of Christ. I want outsiders to become an insider. And what I see here is that Peter and John, they basically, they transformed the life of a man outside the temple. They met his physical needs outside the temple before he came inside the temple. Sometimes we don't do that. We want to get people outside to come be inside, and then we can figure out how to meet needs. I think this example shows us that we need to go out and we serve people, and as we serve people, we can help transform their lives physically, then bring them into the church where they can be transformed spiritually. Many of us grew up in a generation where what we needed to see the gospel was information about Jesus. Please tell me all the information about who Jesus was, is, and so what we did was Bible studies. 
first principle studies, second principles, all of those to, to know Jesus. We needed information, and we still do. But I see that the newer generations, and even statistics are showing that newer generations are not really experiencing Jesus by information. They're experiencing Jesus by experience. We still need to teach people, but most people today are like, I'm not really interested in that box you call church. What I am interested in is the ministry of Jesus. And we know from Matthew chapter 25, helping those who are hungry, thirsty, those who are strange, those who are incarcerated, those who are sick, that when we engage people like that, the least of these, we engage Jesus. In verse 9 here, this is what we all want. That's transformation. The people the next day saw this guy who used to sit out there every day crippled and begging is now walking, jumping, and praising God. And it says they were filled with wonder and amazement. You know, when I first started with Hope, about six, seven weeks ago, I guess now, uh, I was in the meeting onboarding all the information that I need to know. Uh, there is so much about Hope that uh, even as a church that has been very supportive of Hope, there's a lot of things I didn't know. And I sat down one of the meetings and they, they presented something they called a BHAG, which is a Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. And it's an acronym. It's idea conceptualized by Jim Collins, I think, in Good to Great, and also Built to Last, those two books. It basically means that any organization needs this audacious goal they have. And so sitting there in that meeting, Hope said their audacious goal is for every member, talking about in our global fellowship, every member engaged and every engagement transforming. And I thought that was really powerful. And what it says is that when we go out and serve people, we are transforming the lives of people. But at the same time, those who serve are being transformed as well. It's obvious in this story that the crippled beggar experiences incredible transformation. But not only is his transformation evident, the people who saw him they were filled with wonder and amazement because they were transformed by the transformation of the crippled beggar. But I would bet everything that Peter and John were transformed as well. Let me close the message today with some good news and just talking about uh, Hope Worldwide uh, now that I'm working for them and uh, really excited about a lot of great things that are going on. Uh, for starters, uh, I wanted to just bring up the Loaves and Fishes campaign. For some, you, you may not know what I'm talking about. Uh, for many of you in the metro Atlanta area, you do because uh, you generously contributed to this campaign. At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, it appeared to Hope Worldwide and leaders within the ICOC uh, that there were a number of our brothers and sisters across the world, primarily in majority world countries, and uh, they were not eating uh, because they were unable to work. Uh, in the U.S., we actually have a government that sent us checks so that we could keep eating. Uh, they send checks to people who aren't even working. This was not the case in many other countries. And so in the Gospels, it shows that Jesus, he took loaves uh, of bread, and he took fish, and the Bible says he multiplied it, and he was able to feed many people with it, and even having leftovers. So a call went out to all of our churches and fellowships. So there were churches and individuals that uh, gave generously uh, to the loaves and fishes campaign. And in all, we collected $2.2 million in direct support uh, to be able to help 260 churches in 69 different countries and feeding 45,000 brothers and sisters and their neighbors who have been impacted by COVID. 
Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, you know, from Bahamas to Burundi and Mumbai to Madagascar to Cambodia to the Congo, that none of our brothers and sisters within our fellowship of churches went hungry. In Galatians 6, 9, it says that we should be continuing to do good. Don't become weary in doing good and doing good, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so we've been doing that. So for all the, the churches here in Metropolitan Atlanta and all the individuals who contributed to the Loaves and Fishes campaigns on behalf of Hope Worldwide, I want to personally express uh, my gratitude on behalf of the entire organization uh, for your generosity, particularly in trying times. The other piece of good news I want to share is that uh, we are in the midst of the International Day of Giving. Uh, this is the support that Hope Worldwide gets from the International Churches uh, of Christ. Uh, and this is really how Hope is funded to do all the great things they do, to deliver quality outcomes uh, to the poor, uh, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the sick, and those uh, that are most vulnerable and suffering around the world. Some churches give annually. Uh, some churches give on a monthly basis. And so for those in Atlanta who have been given, thank you. Please continue to support us. Uh, and if you haven't, uh, it's an opportunity to, to do so this year. And uh, I pray that we'll be able to do that. You can go to www.hopewww.org backslash and donate. Um, typically, that giving time is open from mid-October to, to mid-November. And so I want to thank you for, for continuing to support the annual day of giving that we have each, uh, each year. And lastly, uh, I just want to say some good news. You may have may not have heard it, that uh, Whole Worldwide Corporate is moving from San Diego uh, to Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm excited about that. I want to say just for clarity, uh, the Hope Office is not moving to Atlanta uh, because I just recently got hired. That is coincidental. Uh, there is a lot of great reasons for the corporate office to be here in Atlanta. One, it's just a great city uh, to live in. It's, it's much cheaper uh, to live here and to attract other people to come from work for Hope. But I personally believe uh, that we have great churches, great leaders, and great disciples here in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I'm excited uh, that I get to stay here in Atlanta and uh, continue to be a part of our, our fellowship here. And again, it is my hope uh, that going forward, we will find ways to at least do two things. One, pray together. And number two, to be able to serve together uh, to God's glory in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity to preach today and for listening to me. I love you and God bless you.